Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Bowl, Director of Public Affairs, and joining me is BJ Tanksley and Spencer Tuma from our legislative team. Hey guys, how are you? Oh, good to be back. It's been a while. Hey, good to see you. It sure has been a while, and we've had a lot happening, although we haven't been physically in the office. We're still paying attention to everything going on with the uh, USDA stimulus package that they're just starting to roll out some of the details on. And um, BJ, you've got uh, some news from the state level as well with the state legislature trying to do a little bit of work, get back into the Capitol in the next few days. So why don't we start there and uh, fill us in on what's happening here in Jefferson City. Yeah, so the legislature was back in Jeff City just a few weeks ago to get uh, to finish up the budget, the supplemental budget. Um, and when they left, we didn't know when they were coming back, but it looks like April 27th is the magic day. You know, when they came in for the uh, for the supplemental budget, they actually ran session while staying distant. It was interesting to watch um, online. Well, not interesting unless you're a political dork like me, but um, interesting if you are, because the roll call vote in the House took forever because they did them one at a time and let people come and go. And I think that kind of showed the legislature they had the ability to continue to, yeah. you know, to take up the issues and move through the process in a safe manner, safer. Um, <clears throat> so I think that really kind of opened the eyes that, hey, if we can get back, we probably should try to. Um, surprises me that it's a little earlier than I might have thought we would, but um, April 27th is the big day. Um, well, I don't it, know how there was. There was at least one member who had tested positive for COVID-19. Um, yes, was it Joe, Joe Runyon? Yes, that's, that's right, yeah. Has, have any others since that point, or do you know? Um, there was a state senator, uh, Senator Walsh, who was quarantined because she had been close to someone who had tested positive. Um, I haven't ever heard that she did uh, test positive, but she quarantined for some time. Um, otherwise, all that I know has been healthy in the legislature. Um, and it's kind of one of those things. There's a lot of things going on with the legislature. They, you know, they're only supposed to be there through mid-May anyway, so they feel yeah. like they have the opportunity to get some things done. Um, they've got a short amount of time to try to wrap it up. It had yeah. been like we were going to be looking at special sessions, um, maybe throughout the summer or, or later in the summer. Um, but I think this gives us the opportunity to at least get some of those top-line things done. Um, everything I'm saying is they're seeing is that they're going to focus on the budget um, and then maybe some non-controversial issues is the way it's being told. Um, what those are right now, I haven't, I, I don't know. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. We've got some major issues we'd like to see addressed. I don't know that they would be labeled as non-controversial. Eminent yeah. being the number one of those. Um, just the timeline of, of that whole project and the merchant transmission line looking to use the power of eminent domain, they haven't used it yet. Um, but that we're getting closer and closer to that point. And, and if we don't see some action on that, I, I don't want to sound too dramatic, but this may be our last opportunity. Um, so right. really hopeful to get that done this session. Well, hopefully so. Yeah. Like you say, if they're only doing things that are non-controversial, there's not a lot of things that happen in a legislature that are just non-controversial. Right. Not yeah. ones that make, make much difference. Um, yeah. So and from a purely, from a purely selfish point of view is, how does that look? You know, when they did the supplemental, they pretty much asked people that if you didn't have a direct impact with that budget, you probably didn't need to be in the Capitol. And that made total sense. But even things that aren't considered controversial, uh, there's going to be lobbyists or advocates on one side or the other that probably have some conversations about how those go. So yeah. a different world there for a couple of weeks. Um, interesting to see how it, how it works out. Yeah, definitely. Well, and one of the big things that I think is going to be a question over, over the next few months even is how the federal government may be assisting 
state governments as far as their budget shortfalls go because I mean, let's face it, you close down most of or a large chunk of the economy for even two months, you're going to have a big shortfall in tax revenue coming out of that and that changes your budget. So you know, do they have an idea of what they're going to do with that and how to address those things? So during the supplemental, I, I just hearing the conversations, there wasn't a lot of talk about direct impact from the feds to the state. You know, there's help to go to those secondary entities that are spending funds. That's what I heard at least uh, was my understanding. So maybe the next phase, Spencer may know, maybe that would be some state level support. I do know that we are looking at some major budget shortfalls. Um, and we've seen some temporary withholds in the current budget year just because, you, you know, things have been shut down and things are going to be tight. Um, so that's going to have a major impact. It'd be great if we could get some federal support for that. Um, but I don't know if it's not directly related to the incident, what that's going to look like. I haven't. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point. It, so the federal government happenings have been a little tough to follow recently, but um, we passed the CARES Act a couple of weeks ago. Um, and as BJ mentioned, a lot of help for those more secondary uh, levels of support, not necessarily directly to the state government. Uh, it'll be interesting, as you said, to see if that comes about in conversations. Uh, right now, Congress is renegotiating, um, I guess, negotiating and then renegotiating and then negotiating again on additional funding for the Paycheck Protection Program, which was passed through the CARES Act and has already run out of funding, uh, despite estimations that that program would not run out of funds until June 6th. Clearly, we had a little bit of a shortfall there, um, but it's been very heavily utilized. So there was first talk that they would do a giant, you know, an additional stimulus package, whether they call that phase four or, or whatever they're gonna call it. Um, now it seems like they're going to do a little bit more of a surgical approach and maybe just do the Paycheck Protection Program as more of a standalone and then approach a phase four package here in a couple of months. So um, I, I even hesitate to say that because things are literally changing by the day. Yeah. Right? So, um, but it will be interesting to see moving forward if, if that particular topic is is addressed. And I think that's interesting. an interesting point that, you brought up the um, the projections that the government had made when they first passed this. I think I read last week that Secretary Mnuchin had, <clears throat> excuse me, had said on maybe March fifth or sixth that he expected the money from this Paycheck Protection Program would last through June sixth, like you said. Yeah, and it lasted through what um, April sixteenth. It was like ten days, right? Sixty days. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they they don't know. Everybody's shooting from the hip here and hoping that they're guessing right, but they just don't know how it's all going to play out because we're in completely uncharted waters here. Well, and in on that vein as well, I'm getting my notes in front of me here, but you know, farmers and ranchers really had a bit of a disadvantage when it comes to the Paycheck Protection Program. Yeah, very much we so. knew they were eligible, but there was a lot of misinformation um, and lack of clarity coming from the Small Businesses Administration, which in their they had a $350 billion program that they had to write in a manner of like, you know, three days. So, so clearly there are going to be some things that maybe need to be clarified a little more. Um, but a lot of ag producers didn't get the opportunity to really start applying for that program until it had already been live for several days. So, you know, the ultimate share of what agriculture is going to get out of this first round, I uh, think funded um, out of the $350 billion that was initially appropriated, only three billion of that is directly attributed to agricultural businesses and producers. So it's a very, very small percentage. 
Um, and just some quick stats, would, that would fund a total of 27,428 requests from the agricultural industry under the Paycheck Protection Program. So um, we know there's more of a need, uh, but fortunately we were a little bit late to the game because of the lack of clarity on agriculture producers and on sole proprietors as well. Yeah. Well, and of course, the, a lot of people have pointed out that the Paycheck Protection Program for a lot of people that are involved in farming wasn't ever going to be a huge help because of the fact that it's so focused on um, paychecks. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas most of the input costs in a lot of agriculture is not really labor uh, costs, you know, your, your hourly wages or anything like that. Um, it's buying your fertilizer, buying your seed, paying for your diesel, paying for your uh, overhead, your equipment costs and your animals and all those, uh, you know, your feed. So those things were largely not going to be covered. But um, moving to the next piece of this, though, USDA is starting to roll out some guidance on what they are going to be able to offer to help uh, producers in agriculture. And um, I think they came out with a document a couple of days ago. It was was it Friday? Um, Friday at about else? eight or nine o'clock at night. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a little bit of a late late release, but we've we've got yeah, it. So. That's your favorite out. time for a good government document, right? That exactly. is, a, you know, my favorite. Honestly, one of my favorite things to do on the weekends is read government documents. So sadly, um, you're not joking. Um, yeah, obviously, the timing there. the timing may not have been ideal, um, but it is really important information that needed to get out there, and so. Um, Yeah, USDA, they released some details of what they're calling the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, or if you're a government nerd like all of us, you'll know that everything has to have an acronym, so they're calling that CFAP, and um, we are just kind of digging through the very preliminary details of most interest to our members. Um, So total, it's about a $19 billion program. $16 billion of that is going to be provided to producers in the form of direct payments. Um, So there was $9.5 billion through the CARES Act, which was specifically allocated for livestock, specialty crops, local food systems, and dairy, um, as well as $6.5 billion that is current funds from the Commodity Credit Corporation. Um, I have a little bit of a breakdown here. Um, So out of that $16 billion total, $9.6 billion will be um, specified for livestock, so that's $5.1 billion for cattle, $2.9 billion for dairy, and $1.6 billion for hogs. And then $3.9 billion for row crops, $2.1 billion for specialty crops, and $500 million for what USDA is calling other crops. And that term is largely undefined at this point. So the way the program is going to work is there will be a single payment determined per producer based on two calculations. So it will be two calculations for a combined one payment, Um, For price losses that occur between January 1st and April 15th of this year, 85% of that price loss will be covered. And that's part one of the formula. The second part is for any expected losses from April 15th through the next two quarters of 2020, 30% of that expected loss will be covered. So um, we still have a little bit of uncertainty from USDA. They um, held a stakeholder call this morning that I sat in on. We don't know at this time what price series USDA is going to be using per commodity to make those calculations. Um, so we're anxious to see that. I know American Farm Bureau's economists are, are really, really anxiously awaiting that information to be released. Um, what we can tell you is that for a commodity to qualify for this program, 
it must have experienced at least a 5% decline between January and April of 2020, uh, which we feel very confident is going to cover many, if not all, of the agricultural products we produce in Missouri. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've talked a lot, but there's <laughs> a couple more things I want to I put out there. So there is payment limits under this program. Um, it's $125,000 per commodity uh, with a maximum per person or entity total payment limit of $250,000. Uh, the goal is for those payments to be distributed by the end of May. USDA is hoping to submit all these details as far as formulas to the White House's Office of Management and Budget over the next couple of days so that they can start signing people up for this program and get those payments out the door. Uh, the program also, so that's $16 billion for direct aid to producers. The other three All right, billion, hold on just a second. I have a question about yeah, that. So, sorry. <laughs> you're right. Sorry. <laughs> so on the part about the direct aid to, to producers, do you know yeah. yet, is that going to be subject to the same um, actively engaged uh, requirements like Title I commodity programs typically are, or is it going to be a broader set of people that might be eligible for these things? So USDA has not clarified yet. Um, I would assume it would apply to those, have those same rules applied to it. Um, it would probably be easier to just have the same set of people right. eligible. But There okay. is no requirement, however. Um, so if you have not participated in farm bill programs before, for example, uh, there's no reason you shouldn't be able to participate in this program. Okay. Uh, there are very few restrictions on your eligibility to participate other than you just have to qualify for those payment limitations that are set forth by the program. Great. So, Very good. Thank you for um, answering my question. Yeah, no worries. Sorry, there's just a lot. I feel yeah, like I'm going to take up is. all the time. But um, the other $3 billion is going to be used for USDA to purchase agricultural products for um, food distribution. So uh, they say that that's going to come um, kind of in phases over the next several months. So. Um, for the first month, it'll be $100 million in fresh fruits and vegetables, $100 million for dairy products, and $100 million in meat products. So um, we know a lot of food banks have really been um, facing some supply issues as well. And so that should be an avenue to help um, direct those commodities to food banks. One of the particular um, details about this part of the program is that many of the commodities that are going to be purchased would have normally gone to the restaurant industry. Um, but obviously because we've seen a lot of demand reduction on the restaurant side of things, supply chain issues, but hopefully a lot of that product is going to be able to be redirected through this program uh, to the local food banks. Great. That's a good deal. I know uh, last week that was the hot topic on the news was food, mm -hmm. a shortage of food while yeah. I'm seeing fresh produce, probably going to be destroyed. So hopefully that's a program that can help bridge that gap. I mean, that's definitely yeah. a need on both ends. And yeah, it's sure. probably going to be continuing to grow as we've had some problems on the livestock, you know, the, the slaughter uh, facilities have had a lot of problems with the supply chain. Um, we, we do have, so I guess I didn't mention this at the beginning, but uh, for those listening on the podcast, we're doing this via Facebook live as well. And um, I'm watching the comments come in. We've got a couple of them here. Um, I'd like to go ahead and try to answer the questions. Sarah Friedrich um, asked, how will farmers have to prove loss? If I'm not, uh, if I'm remembering right, they're not going to have to prove a loss, correct? So that's a good question. That was brought up on this morning's stakeholder call with Secretary Purdue. At this 
time because USDA is trying to limit their in-person contact in their county offices, they're encouraging you to hang on to every single receipt, form, any, anything you have that might be able to prove that loss because it sounds like a lot of that's going to be done through um, self-certification. So okay. on to those documents. We don't have clarity at this point on exactly what you'll need, um, but it's better to be safe than sorry, in my opinion. So I definitely try to hang on to those things until we have a little more clarity. Great. And then um, second one we have is from Mark Langworthy, who we all know. Mm -hmm. um, Mark asks, what are you hearing, if anything, about policy regarding oil prices, both as primary fuel and as to ethanol and biodiesel? You guys hear anything? Yeah. So a lot of, that's a really good question, Mark. Appreciate you bringing that up. Um, a lot of talk, particularly on the ethanol side of things, about loss of demand we've seen. Obviously, demand for ethanol is also tied to demand for oil. Um, and because we have so few people who are driving right now, we've seen um, some really, really stunning losses uh, in the corn market and the ethanol market as well. This particular proposal is not, does not include anything for biofuels, um, and I've kind of gotten the impression that that's not necessarily because they don't recognize the need. It's just because they didn't really feel like that was the focus of what Congress intended this program to do. Um, I think as we move forward, particularly as we do a phase four package, if you will, there's still a lot of talk that that's going to be focused on infrastructure. So if we're going to see relief um, for that, I would, I would. Um, I hate to speculate because like it changes by the day, but I would think that those conversations are taking place around phase four. Yeah. Okay. I'm starting to get concerned because I heard on the news today that there, the CO2 byproduct of ethanol production is used to make a lot of soda and beer as well. But soda, if that really becomes a problem, um, this thing might really start to go downhill in my household fast. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, Spencer, gosh. I know. Uh, I know. Leading into this, the uh, livestock, uh, the cattle producers and pork producers were really they were interested to see what was going to come out of this. Have you seen any early reactions, or what are they saying now that they've seen it? Yeah. So a lot of early reactions. Um, everybody, I think the first reaction I see is that people just want more details, right? That's always the case when things like this come out um, because it's really hard um, to communicate those details to our membership when we really don't exactly know how they're going to be paid. Um, you know, a lot of concern, particularly in cattle and hog industries, that um, this is just not nearly going to cover the loss that they have seen. Um, and I think that's probably true for any commodity. Um, obviously, we've seen a lot of volatility in the livestock markets, particularly over the past three or four weeks. Um, and now with packing plants maybe closing due to COVID-19 or slowing down their production, um, that causes a lot of additional stress. So um, definitely, there's a lot of reaction that is, it's just not going to cover. It, it's not to make people whole, but it's not even really going to get close to covering the loss. You know, the initial estimates um, from USDA when they were talking to Congress about how much money they needed, they asked for $50 billion and they got 23. So um, that's about half of, of what they thought the need would be. So there may be an opportunity for more funding, but, but right now this is all we've got. Well, everyone in livestock is facing a different situation where they have to sell at a certain point. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, we can't sit in the grain bin or wait to another time when prices get better. 
Um, so it's definitely something we need to keep an eye on and, and be watching out for those folks. And along those lines, let's touch on dairy for a second because you know yes. there's no more perishable commodity than uh, milk. And that, that was one of the first concerns to come up. I think that mm-hmm. you're seeing things progress step by step from the least, from the most perishable to the least perishable, because that's just uh, how how it has to work. Um, but there has been some movement, it seems like, on trying to help out dairy producers and um, get their products in store shelves a little bit faster. Yeah. What have you guys seen on that? You know, I'll BJ, I'll let you talk from the state perspective first, if you want. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so at the state level, one of the first things we saw were grocery stores actually limiting um, people to only a couple gallons of milk. Um, and the Department of Agriculture and the State Milk Board came out and, and reached out to the Grocers Association and said, hey, we don't have a shortage of milk supply. We have, the, we have the supply chain to keep this flowing. Please get rid of those signage. And I think that did help quite a bit. Um, we had seen dairy producers being asked to maybe dump milk on a rolling basis. It wasn't just one, but it was happening around the state. Um, but that helped a little bit to keep the keep things flowing that we weren't slowing it down at the retail establishment. Um, so we've seen that um, and to stop the the backlog or, or or to keep the things moving. I know our dairy producers are, are also we've reached out to the, the, the governor's office um, talking about the fair milk marketing act and and trying to see if there's some changes that could happen there. You know, that's something our policy has been opposed to for some time. Um, and I know there, there's lots of reasons behind the law, but we see it as changing milk prices to where people can go across state lines and buy milk much cheaper than they can right here in the state of Missouri. Um, and anytime we have dairy producers going out of business and, and seeing tough times, uh, we want to do everything we can to support them. And, and this is just another time that we've seen that. Not that dairy hasn't seen its own set of fights for, for a while, but this has definitely amplified it. Uh, so, yeah, there's been some steps taken, Farm Bureau advocating. Um, while at the same time, we've seen the Department of Agriculture, the governor's office stepping up and seeing what they can do um, to keep any artificial slowing down of the economy there on, on that front. Yeah, it was really interesting. I think that um, by and large, at least I haven't heard any reports so far, I think the milk dumping has slowed down, uh, if not ceased yeah. completely in our state. Um, it may still be happening in other places. But throughout this whole conversation, I heard a really interesting statistic um, that, you know, about 40% of the cheese in the United States is actually utilized through the restaurant industry. And so when you see restaurants have shuttered their doors, uh, that obviously places a lot of cheese in storage, right? Because it's not going to the restaurants. But the problem that we see is not that there's not enough cheese, it's that it's not in packages that people would traditionally buy in the grocery store. Um, and same goes for milk and, and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, restaurants get like big giant bags of mozzarella cheese if you're a pizza place. And when you go to Walmart or you go to the grocery store, you're not necessarily looking for a 10 pound bag of mozzarella cheese. So when you, you have, go to Sam's, you are. When you go to Sam's, you might be. Speak for <laughs> but, yourself. <laughs> but you really have to, um, that's something I think that scared a lot of people because we saw a big demand for dairy products at the very beginning and stores sold out like that. There was nothing yeah. on them. Um, and that's why grocers had a little bit of a lag is because those supply chains are set up. They're a well-oiled machine, right? That cheese goes to the restaurant industry. It never comes through the grocery store. So um, there's plenty of food. I don't want anybody to be. Yeah, and, and on the so. other side of that, I, I was um, listening to a, Webinar, as is pretty much all I do anymore, is sit on <laughs> webinars all day. But uh, an expert 
a few days ago was saying how, I believe he said 8% of the fluid milk output in the U.S. typically goes towards schools, towards the little cartons yeah. in schools. And, um, you know, that doesn't sound huge, but imagine most industries are not making an 8% profit on their entire product. And imagine if 8% of your demand just evaporated overnight and that's what they had happen. And then we're left with this um, glut of um, of milk on the market that you, also you you might not be looking for the 10 pound bag of cheese. You're also not looking for the four ounce carton of milk. Um, typically those are only used in a few settings. And so anyway, it's, it's hard to repackage that quickly. And you know, your entire production line might have a million dollar machine that fills those cartons of milk quickly, but it doesn't have anything that could fill a, a gallon jug. And so you can't just slip a jug in there where a carton used to be. They don't even have the, the equipment to do it. So it's a lot harder than it might look. Yeah. These are unprecedented times. I hate to sound cliche, but like, but really. But it's true. Yeah, and it was the same with the pork industry. We heard someone talking about bacon. You know, a, a huge yeah. percentage of the world's bacon goes to the restaurant industry. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that I've seen through this is in the future, we need to think about making our supply chains more flexible uh, yeah. in case these things do happen again. Um, when it's all working and everything's normal, it's great. But but this, that's one of the things I think that we should all learn in the long run is we need to be a little bit more flexible with these kinds of things because when there is a disruption, it doesn't need to be such a disruption. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Last item I'll, we'll talk about as far as policy goes is the rural hospital funding. Um, we've had so many people concerned about that in some of the rural areas where hospitals are on a razor thin margin to begin with. And we've been advocating for some assistance for those hospitals. And there's some talk that there may be more help coming down the line from Congress in their next proposal or in their next package that they hopefully will be passing uh, in the next few days. Maybe a, um, a 3.5 is what they're talking about. Not I don't any, even know what to call it at this yeah, point. <laughs> at this point, who knows? Um, but yeah, what, what have you been hearing about that? Yeah, so um, from a federal perspective, there was some money um, appropriated through the CARES Act that I believe, BJ can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the initial round of that funding actually came down early, early last week to the state treasurer's office. Yeah. Um, so that's obviously good news. Uh, our biggest concern has been getting short-term funding to these hospitals because they sometimes operate on very thin margins and see a lot of cash flow issues, particularly when people are not having elective procedures or, or putting things off that are not emergent at the moment. Um, there may be some additional money in CARE 2.0, phase 3.5, whatever you'll call it. Um, but, you know, I think that, I think that for the time being, we have seen some improvement, um, but hopefully we'll continue to see uh, focus by Congress on, on funding for rural hospitals because it is a huge concern for our members. Yeah. Yeah, at the state level, we've seen the, the, the state powers be doing what they can to support rural hospitals. You know, there's, there's payments made by the state to hospitals. There's hospital taxes that then go back to the hospitals. They're doing what they can to be flexible on that front, to be able to get those funds out the door as soon as possible. Now, that doesn't mean the hospitals are getting more. They're just getting it sooner than they normally would have. So we have seen some great flexibility from state as much as they can, but a lot of it is that we're talking big numbers. And when it comes to those, we're talking with bees, those usually come from the federal government rather than the state government. Truth is most of our rural hospitals are going to see more of an impact of this from a lack of funding that they probably will see COVID patients. I mean, I think 
hopefully that the the track we're on remains the same but it's still a major issue and these hospitals are something we've always been concerned that we're going to lose anyway um and we don't want to see this be the 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 reason that that happens yeah definitely so all right well as we wrap up here we have to have our weekly question one Um, more thing eric we can't leave without talking about broadband broadband. that is important the missouri uh, broadband development office has made their first uh, award in the broadband grant program. So what do you see there, BJ? Yeah, it was a great deal. Last week we saw the uh, the Office of Broadband uh, announce their first grants. It was um, 16 projects funded at about $3.05 million. Not huge dollars, but again, at the state level, and we we're excited to see that done. Um, this is something that Missouri Farm Bureau has been working on for several years. We took it step by step. Uh, we started out by talking about developing the fund and working with the provider community to find a fund that everybody could pretty much agree to the rules of the game at least. Um, and then this past year, we got $5 million appropriated to it. Um, I think we ended up being a little bit of a victim of the budget process where we've seen some cuts have to be made, where we didn't see the whole five roll out in this announcement. Um, but 16 projects that when I've talked to the people involved, they're very excited about these projects. I saw that it's going to impact <clears throat> over 4,000 households. Um, that's a big deal when we're connecting Missourians and we're connecting. I know it's not huge numbers, uh, but more and more people, and that will continue to grow as this thing grows. So we're super excited about that. Um, we appreciate all the work that's gone into it, both at DED and the Department of Agriculture and the governor's office. Um, and in this time, we've seen broadband's more important than ever. It's what we're all doing to continue as much normal life as possible. Um, so really appreciate that. I think it was great timing. We thought it was coming a little earlier, but as it, with everything right now, it's kind of slowed down. Um, but excited to see new connections happen. Um, keep connecting rural Missourians, and, and let's keep this broadband train rolling. I do know we're going to be facing tough budgets again, but hopefully we can hold that what was $10 million going into 2021 fiscal year. I don't know what that ends up as, but hopefully we get some momentum from this and continue to roll that forward. So excited about it. Thank you for everybody at the state. Um, I'm glad to see that continue to roll on. This truly is something that Missouri Farm Bureau and other broadband advocates have been talking about for several years, um, and it did finally come. So excited to see it. It's good to actually finally see it happen, come to fruition. Yeah, it's important. And like you say, we've seen more than ever over the past three or four weeks just how important it is to have connectivity. Um, so that you can do things from your home if you need to. Everybody's reliant on it now. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's come it's, to everybody's forefront. If it was the way the world went around before, it really is now. Yeah, All right. So on that note, uh, we are going to talk about one last thing here, and that is what our uh, question of the week on... Um, Hashtag quarantine question. Yes, quarantine question. Yeah, that is it's our catchy, quarantine people. Question for the week. It is, uh, what has been your best impulse purchase during your quarantine. So Spencer, we'll start I with know you. mine. So um, the quarantine has not helped my online shopping. <laughs> Apparently you have first, internet. First of all, let me say the cor- if you're an online shopper, the quarantine is maybe not been good for you, but <laughs> my best impulse buy uh, for the quarantine, actually my husband and I moved to a new house a couple of months ago and I bought a, patio bench that's actually like a storage bin so you can put oh. up inside it so very nice um it i don't know if i would call it an impulse buy because i had kind of thought about it prior to the quarantine but 
definitely pull the trigger during yeah. the corner and have not regretted it. I it looks that, that qualifies. It's beautiful. BJ? Well, this may surprise you, but I, I, I don't do a lot of online shopping. Has <laughs> there been a lot of impulse buys on my part? I know uh -huh. the grumpy old man here, but somebody's got to play the role. Um, but Ashley's probably bought something, right? As a household, um, we did get an outdoor garden that is oh. now uh, below freezing. It is outside. So the, the kids and, and my wife get out there and play in that every once in a while. And we thought since we have time at home, we could do just a few tomato plants. So we have done that. So that was one thing. The other thing, apparently my mom is one of these online shoppers. So these little boxes just keep showing up at our door. and It's toys for the kids to play with and stuff like that. Uh, nice. Always fun. We do enjoy those little treats. But um, personally, I can't say there's been a lot of impulse buys right now. <laughs> at least nothing. Well, shared. okay. Um, I have a very, I have a very clear one too. Um, <laughs> my wife suggested that uh, since we're going to be spending more time at home, this would be a great time to get a outdoor fire pit. And so, oh, yeah, you got a good the, one too. Oh yeah, the solo stove. Yeah, um, which. I hadn't heard about it and uh, apparently and it's I'm got jealous. a lot of like, yeah, it's got a lot of following. It's a cult following thing. It's got a lot of advertising on the internet because, you know, the first time I ever went to their website, I purchased one and um, every day since I've gotten like 15 ads from them. I'm like, guys, I already bought it. I already got it. <laughs> I don't need more ads. But anyway, it's really cool. It's like smokeless and the flames shoot like four feet out of it and it is great. It burns really and hot. And you just put wood in it? How does it I, do the smokeless I burnt myself thing? on it as well. Yes, it is. And that was my fault, not its fault. I was being stupid. Um, yeah, you just put wood in it and spray a little lighter fluid on it and light it. And about five minutes later, it's above your head. It's really cool. Definitely worth it. I know the, the, I see the advertisements all the time on YouTube and uh, it looks um, like, yeah. I recommend it. And plus, awesome. I ordered it on a Thursday at six o'clock, and it showed up on my doorstep Saturday morning. I, was like, oh, wow. I thought you were—I thought really you were going to say your impulse buy was that sticker you showed us earlier. Yeah, oh, show yeah. the sticker. Yeah, uh, there we go. It's a dumpster it. fire. Dumpster fire, twenty twenty. <laughs> um, yeah, that was kind of an impulse buy too. It came with an impulse buy, but <laughs> uh, yeah, we are having a pretty good time um, at our household. We've had the fire going a couple days, a couple nights, and kids just love it. You can roast marshmallows on it, and yeah, really nice, nice purchase. So I'm Do happy. they have to like reach up on the mega flames to? And, uh, we try to keep them safe, but we haven't had any problems with anyone getting scorched so far. No, Except we were outside you. on our traditional well, yeah. fire pit, and all came in smelling smoky. And Ashley said, hey, "Look what Eric need one of these." Can yeah, I would say come over to our house, but. Can't do that. That's illegal. <laughs> if you listeners have a suggestion for the quarantine question, please let us know in the comments. Yes. And you know, to all of I've been watching a lot of YouTube during this. Yeah? You've been practicing? Yeah. How to be an influencer. Oh boy. There you go. Awesome. Yeah, I've been looking at our uh, Facebook live here and you know, we got a, a like from uh, one John Hoagland. So Spencer, okay, say hi to your dad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, well, I appreciate you guys joining us again, and um, hopefully we will get some clarity on some of the things we talked about over the next few days as 
Congress and the state legislature get back into session and um, start trying to figure some of this stuff out. Yeah, and if they have any questions, I'm sure they can reach out to each one of us individually. If it's state level or federal level, we'll be glad to try to find answers. We do everything we can uh, trying to follow along in this very interesting time. Definitely sign up for our newsletter, too. If you haven't, go to org and click on Action Center, and you can enter your information. That newsletter comes out every single week and has a lot of the updates we've talked about today. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, guys, again. Appreciate it, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Bye.